right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, I'm Isaac Porter. I'll be your host for this episode of Website Closers Deal Closer Podcast, where we talk about all things related to mergers and acquisitions in the e-commerce and tech space. Today, we're here with Brandon Dupsky. He's the founder of Backtrack. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hi, Isaac. Great to be with you today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, glad to have you here. So, uh, Brandon, you've been you've been touring the country on, uh, I think, a little bit of a, a speaking, uh, in several different speaking engagements, and I think you're working on some things with Backtrack that are that are really exciting. I'd, you know, love to just hear a little bit about your journey in e-commerce, and maybe just kind of tell us how you got to where you're at today, and then looking forward to kind of tying that back into how our clients at Website Closers could potentially use some of your services and help them in planning and preparing for exiting their businesses. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so we're on to some very exciting stuff right now. We're on to a, uh, what I call a billion-dollar mission to save e-commerce with Backtrack. But how did I get there? I'm going to smash 23 years' worth of uh, e-commerce experience very quickly so that we can get to the meat of this thing. But started in the early days of e-commerce. This was when Amazon was just a bookstore. eBay had less than a million sellers or a million people in total. And I started a company called Sell to All while getting my master's degree in college and working a full-time job. And so I was kind of in early stages where it was so easy to make money, but there was nothing to help you. There was no software, no you know how-to guide, nothing there. So you had to do a lot of it the hard way and figure it out. Fast forward to four to five years, and my company, Seltwell, was the largest seller on eBay. I mean, gross dollars-wise, not just volume of feedback and so forth. And we were selling everything from tools, toys, sporting goods, electronics, computers, you know, you name it, we sold it. And I had a team of about 65 to 70 people back then, and we were just cranking it. We went from zero to the top. And that was a huge roller coaster ride, you know, pluses and minuses, ups and downs. And I learned a lot about taking something from an idea and, and, and capturing market share. Huge time. So, but continue to go forward a couple of years later, after being at the top, I was totally at the bottom. I went out of business, bankruptcy. The largest seller on eBay goes out of business. It's crazy. Um, it was the worst time of my life business-wise. And it was all over the news. I mean, biggest seller on eBay goes out of business, it's news. But So I learned a lot about, you know, how to not take it, you know, not take for granted what you've built. And, you know, you have to earn your success day by day. And that was a tough time. There's a lot of lessons. I could, I could spend, you know, a whole couple podcasts explaining. Yeah, I was going to say, we need to do another show on life lessons from failure to success again. Yeah. 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 So, and I've done, I have a lot of stories I can tell there of what I've learned, you know, the hard way. So started over. I, I love e-commerce. I was never going to get out of the space. I had to pull myself up off the ground, did a lot of, you know, a lot of soul searching, but I, I started a one-man business. I said, I don't want all the employees at the time. I wanted to do a million dollars a year because my family relies on me for income. And I want to do uh, work only one hour per day. So I outsourced everything. I went to do private labeling. I, I came up with my own brand names. I went to China every year to find products. And I was uh, doing the private label stuff, um, selling on Amazon, private labeling. And that was, I did that for 16 years. And that has been a great, tremendous business. It was a great lifestyle type business. I lived comfortably, you know, sitting by my pool at two o'clock in the afternoon and watching my shipments, you know, ship out from third party warehouses, traveling around the world as a speaker, as a coach, as a family, taking my kids and showing them the world. So that has been, you know, in a very short time frame, 22 years of my e-commerce lifestyle. 
Then three years ago to this month, we started Backtrack. Yeah, let's talk about and that. Backtrack is really, I mean, this is this is this is my you know going out with a bang in e-commerce space. I want to solve one of the biggest problems I see in this space that I am extremely passionate about. And I, you know, I'm very well networked with all the large sellers and all the sellers in the seller community. I go to conferences. I know a lot of people and I've helped a lot of people along those years with problem solving. And the number one problem that I've discovered that hasn't been really solved is customer returns. And so I did some research. I've done a lot of, I did a lot of work with customer returns back in the first business. And it's a 40 or zero, 40 billion dollar problem for Amazon third-party sellers. It's about a $400 billion problem for all of e-commerce in the U.S., but just on Amazon, it's and just for third-party sellers. So the, define that for me a little bit more. So you're talking about, you know, consumer buys a product on Amazon for whatever reason, they don't like it, they return it, it goes back into Amazon, and then what happens? Yeah, so that's, that's where it usually stops. So out of the $40 billion worth of product that's returned, 60% of that are from sellers who are overseas. So 60% of Amazon third-party sellers are from Australia, from China, from the UK, from the, you know, the European Union or Canada. And they don't have a place for the returns to go because it has to go to a U.S. address. And so they've been left with very few choices. One, destroy it. Or two, send it back to a third-party logistics provider who don't like to do customer returns. If you ask them, I talk to a lot of them and I partner with a lot of them. This is not what they want to do. They don't want to do the returns. And so they've been stuck with very few options up until Backtrack has started. And so we're going out there and we're solving it with a, with a new method, a new approach. And finally, sellers have an option. What are some of the common mistakes that you see sellers making and how, how does Backtrack help solve them? Oh my gosh. So I've made a million mistakes myself. So I see, you know, I use a, the hair for hair. For, what is it? The men's hair for club. I'm a member, right? I'm a member of my club. I, I made a lot of mistakes. I don't know if that made sense. Anyway, so mistakes, they, a lot of them is, you know, over, you know, it depends on who you are, but you're overbuying, you're buying the wrong product. The product has uh, too much competition and you can't sell it profitably. You, you don't do quality control checks in the beginning. And so you bring in a pretty shady product. And so we see those problems every day. I get emails every day from sellers saying, Brandon, I've got 1200 of these. I can't sell them on Amazon profitably anymore. Take them off my hand. So we liquidate, we do some liquidation or we've got, you know, we brought this product in and the quality is so poor that the customer return rate is 30%, right? And they're like, we have to go rework this product or relabel it or sell it in another channel because it's hurting my Amazon channel. So quality control, you know, I've got a lot of product launch failure examples that we see all the time. And so, you know, those are some of the reasons we see a lot of returns. Gotcha. So what's the next step and, and how, when do you get involved and what do you do with those returns? It sounds like you're taking those returns and helping sellers do something with them. So what, what do you do? How does it work? You know, and what, what's that service look like? Yeah. So one, sellers didn't have any information on why they were getting these returns. Why do I have this high rate of return? So we actually help them answer that question often. I had two calls last week with sellers where, and I've got one today actually after this call, where we will do a video, I'll, I'll walk over to their product with the video call, because they're in Australia, and I will show them reasons that they're getting defects. My tech team will identify these things, and they'll help me understand their product, and then I'll share it with them. So 
we will help them understand why they're getting a high rate of return as just an example. We have a company where they, they sell electronic alarm clocks. And for some reason, these alarm clocks like to go off randomly on their own. And I don't know if that's a problem that they identified until we showed it to them. <laughs> Seems like a critical error there. In the clock. Quality, quality control issues. Yes, yes. But okay, so we, we, we take the product in, we photograph it, we grade it, we, give a, a, we track all the parts and accessories, and then they can see online in a real-time dashboard what we're receiving and the quality in those photos. And so they get access to why products are coming, they can see it where they could not see it before, and then it's how do we, dissolve, how, what's the disposition? How do we get their money back for them? So really depends on the situation of the product. We might send it back to Amazon if it's totally brand new, never been opened. We might rebuild it so that we can take two packages and make one and then we re resell it in other channels such as eBay, Wish, Facebook, and we also have our own retail store. We also sell parts. So we've got like a bike manufacturer and they need to sell replace or some replacement parts of bikes a lot. So we get in open box, you know, something's broken, but not all of it. And then we'll pull parts out of there to send to customers, probably about 50 orders uh, a day like that. No kidding. Um, yeah. Interesting. So those are some of the services. Yeah. And, and what are the economics for something like that look like for a seller? How do you think about the cost for that for a seller and what's kind of the return proposition? Yeah. So I want to pay them money at the end of each month. It's crazy. I'm doing a service for them, but I want to pay them money at the end of the month. That's my goal. It's profit recovery. I'm helping them recover their losses. And so that's how the resell is kind of a beautiful um, to this. So yes. You can cover your expenses, your margin, and still provide a, in most cases, provide money back to the seller by helping them monetize their returns. That's the ideal scenario. So we, of course, we receive stuff in, we've got to inspect and photograph it. There's a fee for that, depending on the size, for anywhere from $2.50 to $5 an item. Typically, smaller items can be less. But then those fees get covered once we resell the product. So we resell the product and we do what we call a profit share. We're 50-50. This is where I only get paid if I sell your item. And then you get paid when I sell your item as well. And that covers fees, plus I pay you more back. And that's the ideal scenario. That's really interesting. So one of the things, Brandon, we see at website closers all the time, you know, we're working with sellers, we work with a lot of FBA sellers. And when buyers look at a business, the first thing they look at, or one of the first things they look at is the P&L. The very top line of the P&L says sales. The line after that says returns. And, you know, so it's it's second line item typically on the P&L or right there at the top somewhere. And the higher that return number is, the lower the perceived value of the business is. If there's a way sellers can recoup some of the sales that they made that were then later returned, that that effectively falls right to the bottom line for them. So that's that could you know add a significant amount of value for a seller in an exit process just by being able to to do something with their returns other than throw them away, which is what happens in most cases. Yep, absolutely. So you've got it figured out. So we are actually partnering with a lot of those aggregators. Those aggregators are hungry for profitable products and brands out there, and they're buying them like crazy. It's insane. But you're, you know, there's two things they're looking at. They're looking at the health of the inventory or the SKU base, right? And so in some cases, we help uh, sellers build a better SKU base or catalog before being bought out by, by getting rid of some of the slow movers so that their metrics look better like their IPI score and things like that, that might get looked at. And so we help them clean the catalog up, I suppose, prior to being sold. 
but also every dollar we give back to them is a dollar on the bottom line, right? And so that is, you know, top line, bottom line, there's a multiple to one of those numbers to how much they're going to get paid when they sell out. Exactly. And so helping them get more for their, their exit is, is part of the thing we're helping with. And post-sale, we also help the, the aggregators. So some of them don't have three PLs or don't have three PLs that are good at returns. And so we become that sole three PL, so to speak, for returns and liquidations for the aggregators who want to also clean out the catalog or lower some inventory numbers and become more efficient or just take care of my returns for me and resell them. So, gotcha. yeah. It's a great space for us. How much space do you have and where, where do you operate out of and do you need more space? Are you expanding? <laughs> yeah, so good question. So we have 10,000 square feet in Lincoln, Nebraska. Not a lot of speed. We're not a warehouse. We want this product to come in, process, go out. We're a hub. So we're not one of those 100,000 square foot, you know, mega warehouses or whatever. We want it to come in, process, and go out. That's our efficiency. But yes, we're full at this time. You know, we have product coming and going. And we are exploring options right now to for expansion. So we're on. The, I'm having calls right now with that topic. So what's what does the cash flow cycle look like for the salary? What, how does the timing of that work? So you you receive these products from Amazon, the returns, and then you explained kind of the process. But what's the what does the timeline look like typically for that? Are you processing things in a, in a week, and how quickly are you turning the inventory in your warehouse? I'm just curious. So yeah, an interesting uh, interesting thing or twist to our business model is if we are liquidating products, we do a lot of liquidations. Hey, I've got you know fifteen of these, fifteen hundred of these, or a pallet of those, or five pallets of these, and we do a lot of liquidations. And that process is the same as the resell for customer returns that we sell. So any product that we are reselling, whether it's liquidation or customer returns, we don't charge um, we don't charge them storage for that product while it's here. That's a big thing. And then the number two thing is, is we don't make them pay for the processing of customer returns in advance. So from a cash flow answer, you ask cash flow, if they're sending us the customer returns and they say, Brandon, just resell everything, which does happen a lot. We call it the Recover Purple program. We don't bill them for those inspection fees. It just gets netted out at the end of each month. So the cash flow becomes positive much quicker, much, much quicker. Very cool. So at the beginning of this, you mentioned something I want to just go back to a little bit because I think it's a really interesting concept. You said you can help diagnose the reasons that products get returned. So I guess a couple of questions around there. Do you see the return rates for the companies you're working with actually decline over time? So are they able to use your feedback to actually get lower returns? And, you know, what's been kind of maybe just anecdotally, what's some, what are some of the biggest you know, reasons for returns that, that you've seen that maybe our listeners could could benefit from broadly? Yeah. So we have helped sellers identify, you know, issues with their product or their packaging or um, quality control. And then we'll see a different version, you know, coming down the road. Now, I, I haven't actually checked apples to apples to see if the quantity is changing because you have other dynamics such as sales increasing and seasonality and so forth. So I think that's a hard, hard metric for me to measure from where my vantage point. Yeah, but but we do help them and we do see changes in the product, you know, in the next batch and the next batch occasionally. 
Common problems is, is, is packaging. Packaging is one of those things I just don't think sellers are getting enough education or that when they're early in their cycle, they don't spend enough time, you know, uh, exploring. Um, and packaging happens in a few ways. One, you know, I, I have a, we have a product, a client with a product that's kind of, you want it to stay fluff, but, or fluffy and sticking out because it can bend at the top. And the packaging is so tight that there's a lot of smashed product. And so we pull these out of the boxes and we could see that the product was being smashed because of the box. And so they're going through right now a redesign of their packaging and their product to protect it better. But we also see a lot of packaging issues when it comes to people spend way too much time and energy on the package and far less on their product. And you can, we get lots of those where, and then also it's weight, the packaging weight. So one example I showed um, not too long ago, I showed at my, when I spoke at the conference last week was a very light product, weighs less than half a pound with a heavier package that weighs over half a pound. And most people never think about shipping costs because Amazon kind of hides it. It's, you know, it's under the scene with FBA. But if an item is under one pound or over one pound, the shipping cost changes dramatically just by a couple ounces in weight change. So if you're under one pound, you're going to pay about $350 to maybe under $4.380 to ship it first class. But if you're over one pound, you're going to pay about $850. You almost double the shipping cost just by a couple ounces. And we see a lot of products where when you add the packaging, you've gone over that one pound threshold and they're doubling their shipping costs. And so it's totally, it's a waste of money, but it's also that money to the bottom line that they could figure out. Amazing. So in case like that, do you go back to the sellers with that feedback and say, hey, if you can cut four ounces out of your package, you can save yourself $4 a unit? Yep. Yeah. I mean, if I see those opportunities, I definitely tell them. So it's one of those things where I'm, I'm, you know, I've got the seller's best interest in mind. I always want to share what I see and I do that often. That's great. Really helpful feedback. And I think it's interesting perspective you get kind of being on that side and seeing, being able to compare all these products across different categories. Yep. We're a problem solver. Yeah. Interested just to hear, I guess, just a couple of stories, you know, what are some, what are some big failures? You know, you have any, anything that's been, been funny or any, any anecdotes or anything that's been like a real aha moment? You mentioned the alarm clock that, that went off at random times, you know, any other situations like that that have come up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, we're on a huge mission right now and we're getting a lot of variety of products. And I mean, I, like I said earlier, we're on a billion dollar mission to save e-commerce, but the other part that I didn't mention is the environment. So this is a huge thing, sustainability. I'll get to your, maybe this isn't answering your question directly, but sustainability is one of those topics that doesn't get addressed enough, right? And Amazon is facing this problem right now. They've got kind of a bad rap for destroying product and throwing it in the landfill, even new products. You know, in some countries, there's articles about that. And so what we're doing is we're helping that product live longer by not going into the landfill. And so... Sustainability is one of those things that we've also tapped into as a huge global benefit of what we're doing. And you're going to hear us talk about that more, but you're also going to hear Amazon talk about that more. And you're going to, next year, you're going to see a lot of investments, but also business ingenuity or de- development in the space where the, the environment comes is important or comes first. That's huge as well. Let me think of some crazy ideas. So, you know, the other number one factor I didn't talk about, which is similar to your question, is competitiveness, right? So uh, competitiveness is causing a lot of sellers to send us product. And this is liquidations in most cases, I guess, more than customer return. 
So competitiveness is where, you know, you, you think you've got the right formula, you've got the right product, you go out there and you launch it, but then you can't pay for quick yourself all the way to the top, can't get found in search, you can't get the sales velocity and all the numbers that you need to gain your, your traction, and you end up being kind of kind of like a dud, right? And so we're getting a lot of companies sending us their surplus or liquidations because they did not fight, they did not win the competitive force, competitive factors. So there's one of those one of those things that I think sellers need to spend way more time learning how to be competitive. And you know, one of the things is just being able to stand out and be unique. You know, everybody has this ugly baby syndrome where they think their product is beautiful and it's the best one that you know it's out there, and they they don't really get a, a third party opinion enough. The market is actually the third party you know opinion sense in the sense that you know your baby is really just average, you know, and you're going to get an average result. Your baby's not any cuter than everybody else's. And I think that's one of the things people fall into that mistake a lot, where they think they've created the best, you know, wall sign or the best, you know, sporting a good equipment or the best brand name to patch onto a sporting good equipment, for example. And it's just another me too, you know, and unfortunately me too's don't make it very far on, on Amazon unless you got a lot of money to get yourself to the top. How does someone identify if they need your services or what would be the things that a seller should think about if or be aware of where you potentially could come in and help and backtrack? I mean, customer, you know, customer returns is just the problem everybody faces. Now, I mean, if you've got a really cheap item or a disposable item or a, it expires or once it's open, it's really not sellable again then your item is probably not that attractive for our services. But otherwise, if there's some value left over or somebody can benefit from that product that, you know, it doesn't have to go into the trash, then, you you know, exploring our services becomes, you know, an option. Is there an average price point that you see where that usually makes sense? And any, any, I heard what you said on, you know, items that are packaging gets opened, you know, any, I'm sure cosmetics or something like that, if they're returned, it would be hard to resell. But are these typically kind of consumer goods that are more than a hundred dollars or what's a, what's a profile look like for something? Yeah, it's, it's pretty wide. So if it's under $20, then it becomes questionable. I mean, sometimes we sell items, you know, we get items that are 10 or 15. They just want it out of the Amazon system, right? Hey, I don't want Amazon reselling it. I don't want them liquidating it, you know, I don't want it. And so the price usually under 20, it becomes questionable and why, but we do get some of that. Over 20 is always better. But we get, we've got 11 foot kayaks. We get 11 foot kayaks in. So very large $2,000 kayaks, we get those. We get $400 electronic radios and stereos all day. I mean, pallet them. And we actually do the repair work and, and, and rebuilding of those packages. But we also get a lot of home goods, a lot of sporting goods, a lot of, you know, seasonal goods, gift type items. We get a lot of that. And it, it really depends on you know anybody who gets a customer return where there's a little bit of value left. And it's, you know, it, it just makes sense for us to handle it for them because I can probably send them money. Do you have a website where you're, you're selling these products? I know you have a, a retail location, but are you also selling online? Yeah, yeah, of course. So a lot of it goes online too. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, that's my background, right? eBay and, and Amazon. I was one of the first third-party sellers on Amazon when they opened it up. Really, what I'm doing is looking for a kayak. Well, you, well we've got two in here right now, actually. <laughs> um, right, we'll one's out the door soon. We got to hurry up, hurry up. They're very good. It's a very good kayak. But yeah, we do have a website called buyboxclub.com, and so there's over 1,400 items out there right now, whether liquidations and closeouts, open box. So that's where you can see our products online, um, on Facebook, on Wish. It's all under the buyboxclub.com. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. 
Very cool. So have you been contacted by anyone specifically who is kind of in the early stages of planning an exit or who's just acquired a company? What, you know, what's maybe the more common point of entry for a customer into your ecosystem? So we've got over 500 accounts right now and growing 25 a week. So it's kind of crazy right now. But a lot of, we're, we're having clients that are ours that are now being acquired. You know, hey, Brandon, we just got acquired by XYZ. You know, we're going forward. You're going to send your products to them you're under their company name versus ours. So we're seeing that a lot. And then I've got um, acquirers saying, hey, Brandon, you know, we've acquired three companies that you manage. We want to send you the other seven now that we got. And so we're seeing a lot of um, activity like that. Some of the very large acquirers um, have their own warehousing from their own return center. And so then those companies are branded. Okay, we want you to send everything to that 3PL address and so forth. So there's a lot of churn. We have the full spectrum of newbies to people only days away from being acquired to people just days after being acquired in our our mix. Nice. Very cool. So I I saw, I was looking at uh, some of the presentation material that I'd found online. I guess it was a deck from one of the talks that you gave recently, you know, talking about the billion dollar Billion dollar mission to save e-commerce. I think that's pretty cool. I also mentioned here that you are Alibaba e-business man of the year from 2008. And then it, it said you're one of the largest sellers in 2004, kind of going through your, your e-commerce experience. So what, you know, you've been involved with a lot of different ecosystems. What, which one do you think is the most interesting and what do you see kind of as the platform that'll kind of have the most growth over the next three to five years? Yep. Yep. I've always got a story if you've got the time for how we're saving e-commerce, but I'll save that one here too. No, tell, tell, us, tell, tell me a story. I'm interested. Well, it's, it's just a nightmare. It's not really a good story, but it's a nightmare of what happens out there. But to answer your ecosystem's question first, the, the acquirers, there's like how many billions of dollars out there right now buying e-commerce sellers? This, this Tens is a of billions. dream. Yeah, it, it's a dream. That has not happened. I wanted to be a roll-up company back in the early days of eBay sellers. And I was going to go out there and roll up all these eBay sellers. You third party, you know, our warehouse would be scalable and blah, blah. But that was a lot harder to do back then because there was no exit. There was no money to you know, go public. It was very, you'd have to be pretty high up to, to, to hit that threshold. Now there's so much money behind it. Sellers, this is the best time. I mean, this is the best time to be an Amazon or a third party seller right now with your own brand. And you've got a million to two to $10 million business going. And this is, this is hot. I love what I see out there. I love the fact that e-commerce is finally being identified because this opportunity has been here forever since I started and it's just never gotten this attention like this before. And so that's right now is what the most exciting times for me in that regard. Very cool. Yeah. The story about saving, I mean, this will, I'll tell you the quick version of it. This is a seller who has a very fluffy product that comes in a bag and it has to stay fluffy because it doesn't, you know, you want it to look good when you pull it out of the bag. And they have three containers of these coming from China. They've done this many times, shipped this product. You know, they're very established, very high quality, high, high quality product. Well, somehow the freight forwarding company, because of storage space, decided they were going to alter the packaging. And the freight forwarding company shrunk all of the packaging down to about a third, sucked all the air out of it. And by the time this product, you know, the, the, the case pack was shrunk to a third of the size so they could store stuff more on the container and get more product on By the time this stuff hit the USA, the product was destroyed. 
Totally. I mean, you bring it out of the bag, there's no way to get it back. We, we, we tried. I mean, that's what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to save this company. It's like, if I had to guess, it's like a half a million dollar problem. And it's quarter, it's fourth quarter. And you can't get another container on the water in here in time. And we're trying to figure out how we can re, re, you know, fluff up this product and just save it. So it's an example of where we possibly are saving this business's livelihood, this family's livelihood and this product, this business's existence. How do you fluff up a deflated package? What do you do? Yeah, yeah. We're, we, we've tried three different approaches so far. My, my conference room actually has this product hanging in the, on the walls right now. We're trying, we, we repurposed my conference room. And we're, we're trying humidity, hot air, fans, all of the above. Wow. Well, I hope you get it figured out. I'm sure they're, uh, I'm sure they're sick about it. Oh, it, it, it is. It's a nightmare for me to see. And it's just an example where even as an entrepreneur, you think you got everything figured out and boom, you just get slapped across the head sometimes from, from a, somewhere you weren't even looking. Yeah. And there's, there's almost nobody who's been in, in e-commerce for any length of time who hasn't encountered a number of setbacks and been blindsided by, you know, iOS changes or algorithm changes or yeah, shipping delays. I mean, just, just name it. I, I talk with sellers every day and it's their constant source of obstacles to overcome, which is true in any business, but I think e-commerce, they seem to come more quickly and with less warning in, in some cases uh, because the, the, the platforms that we operate on to sell these products are making their decisions and sometimes, you know, seemingly without, without a lot of thought about uh, the, the downstream impacts, or at least without, you know, they're not basing their decisions on the impacts of the, of the sellers in a lot of cases. So. Yeah. Yeah. Unintended consequences sometimes. Unintended consequences. So we need tools to help us put the pieces back together and salvage whatever we can and, and move on to the next iteration and solve the, solve the problem. It's the key to key to success in the industry is being able to solve problems and move on and keep, keep going. And that's why I love what we're doing at Backtrack. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's that's great because I think it's it's a it's a tool in the in the toolbox of a seller for solving a problem and and really helping to uh, you know take extra margin out of out of every dollar of of sales. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just there's never ending problems, and we're here helping them solve problems. And I feel good about that. I feel good helping entrepreneurs, and I feel good helping the environment. It's just one of those things. I'm I'm enjoying this business model right now. I'm enjoying this ride. It's a wild ride. I'm working my tail off, but I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Brandon, that's really, really great. Really, uh, really interesting. How does someone find you or get a hold of you if they want to talk to Backtrack? Yeah, so simple. It's very simple. The website is gobacktrack.com. G-O-B-A-C-K-T-R-A-C-K.com. And you'll find me right there on the front and the center. You'll find me at the top. There's a form on the bottom. All we ask for is a few simple questions. You know, name, what's your email, what kind of products do you sell? How many do you get back? And after that, you know, um, I, we can have people in the system in one day. It's There's no cost up front. And so it's very, very easy to get involved. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I hope, I hope we can work together. I, I definitely see some opportunities to help add additional profitability to uh, some of the companies we're getting ready to list. And for buyers who are acquiring e-commerce businesses, you know, a way to, to immediately add to their bottom line of the business that they just bought just by um, being able to manage and handle more more efficiently the returns that are that are already in the process. Absolutely, Isaac. I look forward to working with you in the future and I have enjoyed this call today. It's been great. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Brandon. Great to talk to you as well. And we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Okay, cheers. Thank you very, very much.